0: I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility Podcast. The Future of Mobility Podcast is focused on the pursuit of safe, sustainable, effective, and accessible transportation of goods and people. Given the critical nature of the world's climate and energy needs, these topics have never been more important, and they're certainly important to me. So this podcast is a weekly interview series in which I learn from and put the spotlight on the people helping to develop and implement the technology required to move us forward. Who am I? As mentioned, my name is Brandon Bartnick, and I'm an engineer who realized that making a positive impact is the most important thing to me, both through this podcast and my career in the industry. If you're passionate about any of the topics I cover here, please feel free to reach out on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'd love to connect. Also, if you hear anything you like, please consider sharing the future mobility with a friend or colleague. This podcast is brought to you by Edison Manufacturing and Engineering. Technology innovation is great, but it doesn't mean anything if we can't bring our impactful products to life, which means we have to build them. And unfortunately, that's easier said than done, especially for startups and evolving companies that need a reliable option for low volume builds. That's where we come in. Edison is your turnkey manufacturing partner, specializing in build and assembly of highly complex products in annual volumes of 10 to tens of thousands, utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you need a trusted manufacturing partner, then please visit us at edison-mfg.com or feel free to reach out to me directly at brandon.bartnick at edison-mfg.com or by visiting my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Now, to this week's episode. Today's guest is Scott Davidson. Scott is CEO of Revolve, where they're simplifying corporate fleet EV adoption by offering customized, full-service solutions. We're talking fleet decarbonization and specifically, ev adoption for fleets but but it's more in than that so first talk about the question of which fleets should be adopting battery electric vehicles for their application and which use cases and what are kind of the boundary conditions in which it makes sense today to introduce battery electric vehicles then we talk about the question of how do you actually do that so revolve is working with customers as a yeah, full service solution provider here but the as scott mentions here the primary the, the biggest market they're serving is customers who have tried they've decided they want to decarbonize they've tried to introduce battery electric vehicles into their fleet and they failed to do so not because the technology is bad not because they didn't try or they weren't competent like this is just a it's it's challenging there's more that goes into EV introduction into fleet into corporate settings than simply plug and play replace your conventional vehicles with battery electric vehicles and move on these are different it's a different technology it should be thought of in different ways. There's infrastructure that needs to be considered. There's planning that needs to be considered. And so these are the types of topics that we explore here. Great discussion. Really awesome getting Scott's thoughts. He, he also, he has experience in the solar space going through a similar transition that he, he says of, of what the EV world is going through right now, about just a decade ago. And it was great to get thought, Scott's thoughts on, on these topics. So I'll leave the intro here for now. Please enjoy this conversation with Scott Davidson. Today, I'm joined by Scott Davidson. Scott, thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Hey, Brent. Great to meet you. Thanks very much for having us.
0: Yeah, I think uh we're excited for the discussion. Fleet of electrification, EV adoption, the the things that you guys are addressing at uh, Revolve, re- really interesting topics that I, I'm excited to explore with you. So would you mind setting the stage, please, and introducing
1: yourself and, and what you guys are doing? Yeah, for sure. Um, my name is Scott Davidson, CEO of Revolve. Uh, uh, Revolve is... Rolfe's mission is to focus on simplifying and accelerating uh, electrification of uh, commercial fleets. Uh, we do that uh, by um, by reimagining how fleets buy and use transportation. Um, think about it as a, a full-service, turnkey, um, complete solution for, for fleets. Everything but the driver and the vehicle is what we like to say.
0: And when you say fleets, what type of – where's the kind of the boundary? What, what type of fleets are we talking about here?
1: Yeah, good question. I, the way we think about answering that question is fleets that uh, we can deliver economic and operational parity to today. Uh, that, uh, it, because in our mind, while we might be environmentally driven uh, in our purpose and our mission, uh, we know the most important thing is to focus on what what fleets care most about, which is which is uptime performance and economic performance. So. So the answer to that question, Brennan, is really focused on um, which fleets are at economic and operational parity. And wh- What we see is uh, there's opportunities within the Class 2B, so cargo, transit vans, all the way up to Class 8. Um, uh, and that's a function of both the type of vehicle, but also the duty cycle that they operate in, as well as the mm-hmm. markets that they operate in.
0: Okay, and I I imagine we'll 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 circle back to that. I I have some follow-ups to get deeper, but I think we'll circle back there. Yeah, Um, I I think it it would be interesting. Could you give the story kind of how how'd you come up with the idea? Why is this the problem that that you're solving, and why do you think that this is a problem worth solving?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, Um, and I think maybe I might step back a little bit and give a bit of my background because Mm -hmm. uh, where I've personally come from speaks a lot about um, where the business is today. So. I spent over a decade in the in the renewables space, specifically solar development for both uh, C and I. They call it um, a commercial and industrial, as well as utility scale solar development. And and what I started to notice was a shocking number of parallels between where the solar space was a decade plus ago and where the EV space is today. Um, the problems that we were solving in the solar space around Cost, complexity, and risk are the same barriers and problems that fleets are facing today when they're looking at adopting EVs. And one of the one of the ways that that problem was solved was to take a take an integration approach to this solution. So instead of, if you think about what a commercial customer and whether they're buying energy cares about is kilowatt hours and the fact that they're they zero emission, and the, the the way that that problem was solved was businesses started to stand in between uh, both uh, the the suppliers of panels and inverters and all the other constituent components and, and customers and to integrate them into what fleets care what sorry commercial customers care most about which is clean electricity and we're mm-hmm. doing the same thing with from a fleet perspective is we're integrating. The best-in-class technology, hardware, and software into what is a complete solution for fleets. So the the solar analogy where we've come from is very germane to where the fleet space is now, and we ultimately believe that that, that model best serves end customers to be able to help them move more quickly and confidently towards zero emission.
0: Yeah, and this is uh, one of the the topics that, that's near and dear to my heart. Right, so I, I'm a I'm an engineer my by, by background in mechanical but i've been now on the sales and business development and all that kind of operational roles here for for some time um and but like i, I my, my mind is drawn like many engineers to like yeah, develop cool technology right solve problems yeah. with technology develop these solutions and there's been tremendous work done in this space and there continues to be tremendous work like we're, we're not we're not there by any means. There's battery improvements and efficiency improvements and a bunch of infrastructure, technology improvements, a bunch of cool things that are being done and that need to continue to be done. But I think what we tend to miss, certainly as engineers, but also kind of as society, is like, okay, what where's this bridge from developing this cool technology and then actually solving problems with that technology and actually right. kind of doing the thing that you set out to do in the first place, right? And it's not to get Electric vehicles on the road. It's not to develop cool battery packs. It's to provide a more sustainable solution for driving, a cheaper solution for driving, and more efficiently. Yep. Right. So it it feels like you guys are helping to do the the translation here. Of hey, here's this cool solution set that's been developed from um, from a bunch of people. Let's let's find the people who can use these tools and help them find the right tools for their application and, and put those in place. How, how close am I to? what you're
1: doing yeah you're very you're very close it's really that integration challenge and the the development mindset that says uh how do you how do you ingest interpret that technology landscape that is so quickly changing for fleets and for for the market in general which is immensely exciting for for all of us particularly those who want to have more of these solutions put into operations but if you think about it from a fleet perspective as that technology landscape gets more complicated the buying decision gets more complicated for them at the same time so that's why we say stand between f- between providers and in fleets but not in a sense that we're extracting rent by standing in between. We really are focused, our entire team is focused on adding value both to end customers but um, also to 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 vendors and suppliers who are trying to place their product and running into some of those barriers to sales because I think you've seen some of this natural progression in, in the space where OEMs originally started selling vehicles and then they started to realize that they had an infrastructure and a charging problem which was a hmm. barrier to selling vehicles. So they started to offer chargers. And then they started to develop charging solutions. And you see this natural progression within the OEM landscape because they realize in order to sell the end product, which is the vehicle, they need to solve all the other barriers to get through. So we just try to s- focus solely without a technology bias around enabling those transactions to happen more quickly.
0: And so what does it look like? Can you give me an example? So what – first, what's an example of a, two B, a class 2B um... – Fleet yeah, that you might work with,
1: cargo van, like a cargo van, for example, uh, like a, a, a mm-hmm. transit uh, a van, for example, that and, and would who might be, offering...
0: be using that. Like, what type of company? Just, just pick well, me a random example to dive into.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that there's, there's a. It's not only the van application, but it's also how it's being used, right? So we we have customers that range in size from forty vehicles up to ten thousand vehicles in terms of what their unit unit count is across different markets. But mm-hmm. if you think about the most, the 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 smallest fleet where we solve the most barriers to adoption, let's call it Brandon's truck, Brandon's bread delivery company. You say, I want to move towards electric. What percentage of my fleet can go to electric? Uh, what is the right technology for that on both the hardware and the software solution? And then how do I figure out how to stitch that all together to make sure that it's operating both installed and then operating correctly within my existing fleet? So what we provide. Brandon's Bread Delivery Company is this fixed price payment um, that allows them over a set term that allows Brandon to get consistency, capital, re- reduction in capital expense, and consistency in terms of operating expense. So we convert uh, products to performance. What we like to say over and over again is our product is performance. It's not physical products. It's the day-to-day operations of the vehicle.
0: What is that customer intake process? Wait, so someone comes to you and say says it's got like to I like to go to an electric fleet here for am yeah, my, my, my bread drill delivery here there has to be a wide range of things that people yeah. mean when they say hey I'm going electric and then also wide range of backgrounds for how much people actually understand what what goes into it so what, what does that first step look like for you guys to understand where that customer is actually coming from?
1: Yeah it's it's a great question. Uh, and you know what's fascinating is our experience is so different depending on which fleets we talk to. Um, I think the 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 foundational piece is it depends where they are in their existing journey of electrifications. Uh, some are just starting picking up the phone uh, trying to to understand where they start. Others have started and they understand how hard it is. We we often find that our our best or most compelling customers are the ones who have tried to do it by themselves and they recognize how hard it is, right? Hmm. Uh, it, in in many cases, you see a lot of fleets who have bought vehicles, who have 20, 40, 60 vehicles that they purchased that are sitting on their site without a lot of thought process in terms of... And, and it's, not, it's not the fleet's fault. They're used to buying internal combustion vehicles and that's how it works. You buy them off the shelf, you put them into operations, but there's a whole host of other parts to consider. So when we start with a fleet, we try to first understand where they are in that journey. What has their experience been? And then most of it is about starting to understand how they use the vehicle. Not only what type of vehicle, but how do they use them on a regular basis? Which markets are they in? And all of that assessment is important to make sure that you're picking the right vehicle. One thing that I I learned early in starting in fleet space was most important thing is right vehicle, right application, right? It, forget about if it's electric or EV. You have to match the capabilities of the vehicle with the requirements of the fleet. And that might not always be an electric vehicle. But um, so look, making, sh- making sure you start first with understanding how they're using the vehicle is essential to making sure that they can be successful with mm-hmm. an EV vehicle. Because for us who have an, an environmental bias – in order to have a good first experience, you have to do the work up front. The biggest danger for us is to put a vehicle into operation and and, and have it in the wrong application and for somebody to blame it on the electric vehicle as opposed to the, how it is assigned within the existing route structure, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and how much, I mean, you mentioned it's often people have tried to go towards an electric fleet and have failed for some reason. What, what type of problems you usually see? I mean, is this like, I don't know, someone doesn't realize that, you know, the the fact that they have a 30, 40 mile route that they drive most days, but every once in a while they have to go 800 miles to pick something up. Like that's probably not a great application for an electric vehicle for that 800 mile drive. And that's just not going to work. Like, are there kind of like very clear things like that that people just didn't understand kind of how these things are going to scale or is it more nuanced than that typically?
1: I think it's both. It's uh, not to uh dodge the question I promise I'll answer both dimensions of it but that if you think about the journey it's the development phase of EVs implementation about installing them and then operating them and I think that there's challenges in each one of those phases and I think fleets fleets find uh, depending on what their resources internally, are, they they run into challenges in, in, at different points of the phase. So if you start, we've talked a little bit about the upfront development process, about making sure that you you have a partner who is looking at a, in a technology agnostic way about how to pick the right vehicle. But then, in the operations phase, what we often find is this um, uh, an appreciation too late in the process for how long it takes to get charging infrastructure uh, on site. So, if you think, but a fleet that fleet buying decisions are usually made way up in the organization, Mm -hmm. but it's critical that you get more broad stakeholder engagement with with EVs. You need to talk about the site managers. You need to understand where charging infrastructure is going to go, how to make sure it doesn't impede with existing operations, um, most importantly. And I think what happens is you end up with these allocations of vehicles and then then the planning for infrastructure happens. And often the the way that we coach fleets is to start with the facility and the infrastructure and the duty cycle first and let that guide your buying decision, that is types of vehicles and quantity of vehicles first. Um, so that's the biggest lesson learned that I think that probably that we've seen in the implementation phase. And then in the operations phase, I'd say, Brendan, the, the clearest example is deploying EVs as if they're ICE vehicles, right? The EVs and ICE vehicles have different capabilities. They're They're the best applications in different applications. EVs excel at lots of stop and go traffic, Mm -hmm. short distance, return to base. They're a better economic solution in that, in that circumstance. So, um, whereas ice outperform on high speeds, long distance travel. So when a fleet is operating EVs, they, the best case is to think about allocating those as two different types of assets within their fleets. So what we often see is, people dropping vehicles and assuming that they're interchangeable and that's when we start to run into some challenges we spend a lot of time training drivers and site managers and and people who are routing and scheduling these vehicles to understand how to be thinking about that
0: yeah and it's it it's it's t- i feel like it's tough to get that understanding until you've actually seen it and, and like experience it right so like just anecdotally right i and this is a a different situation for for many reasons, but so I I have a plug in hybrid and I have a conventional vehicle at at home Mm -hmm. and um, recently switched where my commute is now just all highway, which it it wasn't previously. And the plug in hybrid is terrible for that commute because it has, you know, 25 miles of range most, most days, which it's it's awesome because I can do most things around my neighborhood and groceries and go to certain places and things and, never turn on the internal combustion engine and drive full electric, but like it's an awful, like it, it's an awful vehicle on, on the highway from a fuel economy perspective. Whereas, you know, the other one is better on the highway, but it's, it's nowhere near as efficient or, or fun to drive um, locally. And like, until it took me, like, yeah, sure. I, I'm in this space, right. And I, I knew these things, but it took me a few weeks at least to, before I saw this, I'm like, Oh yeah, this is very clear. Like these are two different vehicles that like they I should be using them in different ways and figuring out when am I or my wife going to be serving a certain type of driving. So they should take a certain vehicle that's optimized for that. And we should do the other thing. Uh,
1: Yeah. And it's a really powerful insight that you had on your own. I think you think about now add the disconnect. You are both the owner operator and you decide how those writing decisions are made. Now add that into the fleet context where you have different people responsible for those different, different Hmm. decisions and that's the complexity that that we're that that we're speaking about in terms from an operational standpoint. And it you illustrated the point perfectly around right vehicle, right application, and why it's so important. And I think one of the things that I think we need to be careful about in the those of us that are focused just on EVs is is presenting EVs as the holy grail to solve all problems because that's not true. It's it's like saying. We can move to 100% renewables today. That's also not true. There is a transition that needs to happen, and it's to our benefit to make sure that that transition happens as seamlessly and efficiently, and the experience is exceptional for end fleets, so that we can continue that progress of transition as technology as technology continues to progress. So uh, we're not. While we might be just focused on electric vehicles, that is our sole focus. We wake up every day, and that's all we do. We don't believe that that is the only solution in the marketplace for fleets. We believe that that would be disingenuous to present that as the case today based on the constraints of technology.
0: Are, are there times when you when customers come to you and say, hey, we want to go electric and you look into the reality of their infrastructure and their duty cycles and how these vehicles are going to be used? And you say, well, great. Maybe in the future when things change, it could be a great option. But like today, your best option is stay SE or maybe go get a hybrid or something like that?
1: yeah what we the way that we frame that is slightly differently we say what 's your what are your priorities? do you, are, are your priorities economic economic parity and operational parity because if they are, that defines where and how you might be able to deploy. But if a fleet said i'm willing to pay a premium because I feel like there's there's a marketing value or mm-hmm. advantage associated with these with these assets, then we can have a different conversation and that is specific right if you start thinking about other markets that maybe have less incentives than than others, right? We can deploy EVs that are at operational parity, but they might not yet be at economic parity. And again, that is the value that we believe that we provide to fleets is to help them sort through that landscape about how they can continue to meet their priorities without compromise. But there's to answer your question Directly, there has been instances where we say an EV will not be operationally successful in this application. Uh, we need to wait until they're long, or you need to change how you're operating your vehicles in order to accommodate, accommodate it.
0: Yeah, and one, one of the cool things about the space that you seem to be playing in, right, is that these are almost exclu- exclusively rational decisions that are made, right? Like, where personal use someone who really believes in electric vehicles for whatever reason, like yeah, you, regardless what data you can put in front of them or what they're going to pay, they're going to drive an electric vehicle. Cause that's for however mm-hmm. way they, they've put it into, into their value system or their, their character. Whereas sure there, there are certain companies that have that as part of the, the mission and, and vision, but like that's a mm-hmm. strategic decision. And not often, like you're talking about here, like you can put value on, okay, there's, there's marketing value here or, Sure, this is like the the niche, the box that we're going to put into. But then you can layer that with all of the direct operational costs. Um, do you struggle though? I feel. Do you struggle with people understanding the breadth and the complexity of that dollars and cents calculation? Right, because it's not just hey, gas is a certain amount per mile, electricity is a certain amount per mile. Like there's there's more to it than or yeah. there's more to it than that.
1: Yeah, and I. I- I think we are. I was sort of alluding to this up front around the ideal customer profile being the one that often has tried it on their own because they have uh, a very real uh, bumps and bruises as it relates to both what's required to, to to make the transition, but also also of the value that we add to them as a as, a, as an operator. So, um, I. Um, I'm a, big, I'm a big believer in being uh, transparent about what the capabilities and, and requirements are for these vehicles and the, for, uh, the ability for us to be able to serve their end needs. Um, so uh, I think the natural progression is going to be making sure that we find the right customers who are successful, who are thinking about what their broader term ambitions are. But how do we make that into a program? How do we break that in to, into more technical steps? To be able to accomplish how do we operate operationalize their 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 ambitions is 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 how we like to think about it
0: and this this is likely at least a partly redundant question but going back to like what what revolves role is in, in an engagement so say yeah, back to our our, our made-up kind of bread delivery company who's uh yeah has, has a fleet that they're looking to electrify so, so what is it they come to you they say hey we, we need help we want to electrify you you do this work and figure out okay what are the boundary conditions? What's important to you? What's the you understand their use cases, duty cycles, all, all these types of things, and you come up with some recommendation for how they go forward. Is this just a one time consultant, like hey, here's a a here's a presentation, go run with this, or is this you guys are actually then putting in the into operation for oh. them, buying the trucks for them, helping them operate and optimize the truck? Like what what does that actually the relationship look like, and how long does it extend?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I'm really happy you answered that. You asked that question. We are very much not a consultant. We are we are in consultative sales, but we are not a consultant. Mm-hmm. We we have skin in the game in terms of the recommendations that we make. Um, we absolutely are not focused on transactional sales of equipment and vehicles. We have an operating uh, relationship with our with, with our customers, but it is I don't depending on a number of factors. Call it three to seven year contracts that could be that, that with their customers that have that are performance based. So, what we like to say is we sit on the same side of the table as our customers, right? We're there for performance. We're the, we don't sell them and leave. We are there every single day as they're operating those vehicles. So, we also. Think about ourselves as helping fleets moving through those aspirational objectives in a more tactical way, so we help figure out where to start, we help them figure out where to expand and how they make how they operationalize that 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 plan that they have on a daily basis so uh, that skin in the game is very powerful for us because the the technology choices that that we make um, we bear the responsibility of of, of them operating if they 're not up and operating um, it's, it's us that's warehousing the operating risk and the technology risk, and that's an immense value proposition in our mind for fleets because now it's a single partner solution for them. They have a single phone number that they call when they have any issues as it relates to the vehicle. It's no longer… You, the vehicle is not operating you don't know if it's a charger failure or a vehicle failure it's a mm-hmm. sing, what we used to describe in the in the construction space is one throat the choke right it's a single place to go to to understand your needs whether they be uh, whether you're in the development stage the implementation stage or the operations it's a true partner that is sitting side by side to help uh, to help achieve objectives
0: and who owns the hardware assets and like the vehicles and whatever charging infrastructure and things.
1: Well, I mean, technically, we own the charging infrastructure similar to a solar system uh, that is operated under a power purchase agreement. Uh, that is, w- the customer buys transportation services. That is, the vehicle is made available to travel a set number of, of miles on a daily basis over a fixed schedule. And mm-hmm. we, we procure the vehicles on behalf. Think about it as a true full-service lease where – Everything is embedded into, into a single fixed-price payment for a customer, and, and the benefit of that is that uh, fleets are able to reduce the capital intensity of deploying EVs, um, both integrating the charging infrastructure as well as the vehicle into that uh, price, and then they're also able to convert what is with CapEx to OpEx in terms of that operating expense. And then the third value proposition is they, they exchange what is a variable expense, sort of variable mostly driven by commodity costs with ICE vehicles hmm. into a fixed price over time. So they get reduction of capex, so they can take that money and invest it in the core capabilities of their business as opposed to buying trucks and they can get operating um, consistency uh, without the volatility in their in their cost so they end up with a better capex and opex solutions that serves the needs of their business
0: yeah i imagine that the finance teams on on the other side or on your partner side are, are happy about a lot of those things right so uh, how, yeah. though, how do you, well, how do you guys manage it yeah. though uh, i mean like you, if then if if they're not doing the capital outlay to purchase the vehicles and, and owning yep. all those types of things and dealing with the whatever fluctuations, come like you guys are are taking on that brunt. Which, yeah, how, how do you manage that from a risk mitigation perspective?
1: Yeah, I see it as more of an opportunity than a brunt in the sense that there is a there's an enormous amount of capital that is sitting on the sidelines looking for ESG level return. So. It, our job is to create financeable projects, just like we created financeable projects in the solar space, to create financeable opportunities for third-party capital to take an ownership stake in these assets. Um, hmm. And 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 our job is to is is to is to find attractive risk-adjusted capital that uh, that allows us to to finance these on behalf of end fleet customers um, got, got at you. the same time.
0: And, and I think I cut you off before that's you were well- saying something else.
1: No, and that's a that's a well documented model that's been used in in the in the in the solar finance market at the same time.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a it's a cool cool model. Seems like there's a lot of. I mean, you, you seem to be hitting on a lot of the major risks or things that I don't. know, It seems like people are struggling with as they play with the idea of going towards electrification. Some of it's the capital outlay here. Some of it's just the risk right? and I mean, often it's I, I, I tend to hear, you know, the, it's unknown, right? And there's, there's uncertainty. So yeah, there, sure, there's issues with internal combustion engine vehicles. There's issues with conventional vehicles, but I know what those issues are. I'm used to handling them. I'm, yeah, from my fleet, we've, we've done it in the past and we're going to continue to do it. And yes, there's the allure of something better, potentially in the electrification space for the right applications, but there is kind of more unknown unknowns over there. But it seems like you guys revolves coming in and saying, well, well, we'll take on and we'll mitigate those risks for you. You'll get the upside without and sure, you'll probably pay, pay a slight premium over this. And if you weren't go, as opposed to if you were going to figure it all out yourself, but you get none of the risks that comes with it, essentially.
1: Yeah, and I think you 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 articulated it well. It's and we see. At premium as value uh, that we add. to Think about the risk and, the, and most importantly, the capabilities that that and knowledge that mm-hmm. fleets would need to build internally. Right. We talked about, a little bit about the about the capex or or, or the dollar investment, but um, there you ca- we cannot understate the amount of capability investment in these fleet teams that need to be made. And if you're Amazon or FedEx or one of those large players that has unlimited amounts of capital and can hire unlimited amounts of team uh, to be able to focus on these problems, then you're well-suited. But the truth of the matter is that most fleets don't have an enormous fleet team to be able to help them sort through these challenges, right? So we become this – this, this bolt onto their existing business that helps them understand the unique opportunity and challenges associated with electrification and that outsourcing that capability and, and is is critical for, for fleets, especially when they have to move quickly towards some of the regulatory um, pressures that are, that are building.
0: Yeah. And, and I think of the I think my father-in-law is le- um, leading a, a waste management organization to a bunch of garbage trucks with, within, so to so have your duty type have applications. And, yeah, he certainly is dipping his toe into and has been for several years now different types of uh, renewable or you know electrified options for for the fleet. But it feels like that's you know he's got like an hour a month to de- to deploy to that type of thing to figure out right. what the right solution is. Right, like he he's got a whole business he's running and things that he's worrying about on the day to day, not necessarily thinking about what's the latest and greatest and all the electrification developments and where are things and what companies can he trust and all that type of stuff. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. And the, and the landscape's moving quickly, as you, as you know, you speak about it on a regular basis on this podcast, the The technology curve is accelerating for fleet. So the, the the pace by which they have to keep up is, is also accelerating, right?
0: Yeah, for sure. So what, uh, I don't. Know, what what existing kind of misconceptions are there out there? We we already touched on, on several of them. But what what existing misconceptions are do, are there out there? Do you think about people, you know, in that situation of fleet ownership thinking about switching to an electrified option, whether it's a fully electrified fleet or partially electrified fleet? Like, what what are the things that you you hear that are just kind of yeah, just blatant misconceptions at this point?
1: Yeah, we see uh, we we see too much focus on the vehicle. It's important, but it's one piece of the broader ecosystem. What I would what I would encourage people to think about is um, maybe use an analogy for it. That think about um, think about electrification as a system, right? Uh, a system like a speaker system, for example, right? You can buy the best vehicle or the best amp you want with the best speakers. But if you underinvest in the speaker wire, the quality of your output is a function of the weakest link. And the same is true for 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 EVs. So the common misperception is we is is a lot of people are focused on individual vehicles or assets, and they're not thinking about integration, how stuff works together on an ongoing basis, not only in operations but also continuing um, over time. And there's We have lots of experience with software pushes being pushed to one direction and it cascading through the whole system. So just that's number one is the misperception is people think that this is about buying technology. It's not. It's about buying an integrated system. That's the most important thing to realize, realizing success, right? I think – The other misconception we've touched on a little bit, the fact that EVs are best for all applications. And that's not true. We have to absolutely make sure that they're deployed into the right solutions for them to be, for, for people to be, be successful. Right. Um, and I think that, uh, I think that the other piece is, 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 is I don't think fleets are spending enough time thinking about electricity costs. There are, we've seen a lot of proxy forward views of what electricity costs look like. And the way that we explore this is we often ask fleets, when was the last time you opened your electricity bill? And as a consumer, uh, myself, and somebody who's deeply ingrained in the energy space, I don't open my electricity bill. And I think what the the the, the, the surprise that is going to happen for fleets is increasing the amounts of development of, of EVs going to operations are is electricity cost is going to become very much as expensive, if not more expensive, than gasoline if you're not managing it properly. Electricity is absolutely less expensive on a unit basis, on an average, over the long term. But people have to keep in mind that electricity costs vary during the day, um, and there's also additional components to it that add complexity. So it doesn't come into play usually with one or two vehicles that are deployed at a site but mm-hmm. when fleets start thinking about broader procurement, that energy management piece and how we're thinking about staging and deploying vehicles is is something that I think fleets need to start thinking about uh, a, a lot more.
0: Hmm. and how how does that play because that, that's a multivariable optimization question there there like you want to be utilizing electricity at a time when it's available on the grid and where, when it's cheaper. Um, to some extent you need then excess capacity in which you're, that you're not taking advantage of from a charging side, you know, at the times when it's, when it's peaking. So like, how do you, especially as fleets scale, how, how do you think about, you know, scaling the charging infrastructure so that it's not that you, you're optimized for, yeah, sure. The charging infrastructure is the perfect size. Cause we always have every single dock filled and we're charging 90% of the time. Cause that seems like that's not optimal from an electricity perspective. Mm-hmm
1: yeah it's um, it's a great question and the optimization is the re- optimization question is the right way to think about it. Uh, we really need to be encouraging fleets to start thinking about utilization. It goes back to what we were talking about right vehicle right application. understanding when your vehicles are dwelling at your site will define what the cost of electricity is during that period by which they're dwelling. There's all kinds of interesting technology solutions that are starting to come to market behind a behind a we call behind a fence in terms of like uh, on site behind a meter. Um, and the most simplest version is is storage as it mm-hmm. relates to uh, dispatching. Um, uh, so I, I wouldn't say that there's one silver bullet solution for every fleet, and that's part of the reason why we say taking a development approach, working with with partners that help. To see the broader term development plan and how you need to start thinking about developing infrastructure um, for the longer term because the cheapest way to install infrastructure is usually all at once but EVs typically are not suitable for 100% of all the duty cycles mm. one day one so the question is how do you find compelling ways to get to lowest cost um, um, while managing the tension between those two different time horizons.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Definitely, a, definitely a complex situation in which I imagine some, some good judgment and experience would be helpful in, in helping to find a path through.
1: Yeah. It's also immensely exciting to start thinking about this, this transition that's in front of us, uh, seeing drivers experience seeing drivers that have these are these are their office for the most part they spend all day every day in these vehicles so vehicles that are quieter that they get to go home to talk to their kids about um about operating in the tangibility of those vehicles in operations is is immensely gratifying for 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 us as a company and sort of helping Mm -hmm. fleets start thinking about this transition but we're still in the we're still in the early innings of this. There's there's lots of opportunity and challenges ahead of us. And i i I'd, I'd come back to i come back to a story when i was when i first started in the solar space. The biggest project we as a company had ever worked on was um was was 18 megawatts, and it was based in Bavaria, Germany at the time, and that was 2008. And you sort of think about the pace of change. I never could have imagined how far we've come in terms of developing 700, 800 megawatt facilities in the California desert. And hmm. so it's inevitable that this is coming for, for, for fleets, the fact that, uh, that electrification is, is, is here um, and getting there is going to be an exciting process for all of us.
0: Yeah. And I think that actually makes me... It, so we've talked a couple of times about, right, about EVs are not right for all applications, what's your thought on the kind of the qualifier on the back end of that, that, that statement, is it today or is it they're not right ever for all applications? Like, well, how do you, how do you see things progressing, right? And especially you talk about um, the fact that you come in and you have to start with infrastructure and you have to start with figuring out what can the facilities look like and where is their ability to make investments and things, which there are levers that you can play there, right? If, if everyone had infinite, money to deploy into things like you can make any infrastructure work, I I imagine. Right. So like when, when you think about Mm -hmm. that, that question of, okay, the, the, that statement of, yeah, EVs aren't right for all applications. Well, how do you, how do you see that evolving over the next five, 10, 15 years or whatever?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. What I can, I have, a, I have an opinion and a perspective, but the only thing I'm confident is that we're not going to end up exactly where I think we're going to end up, right? Yeah. Because if, 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 time has taught me anything, it's uh, is to have convictions, but also to hold, have strong ideas, but to hold on to them lightly. It is what I would say is if you start thinking about um, the applicability of EVs relative to ICE as being on those two curves that is economic parity and operational parity you think those curves are moving every day as it mm. relates to the pr- the 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 cost of internal combustion so as regulations increase so in the state of California and many other jurisdictions that have decided to adopt California's emissions impact there is rising costs associated with internal combustion that is pushing the cost curve up for internal combustion if at the same time you start thinking about EVs as declining battery costs the assumption is we're going to continue to see declining battery costs over time which is changing the curve for electric vehicles you also sort of talk about these technology uh, development curves for battery technology as you increase density it will change the it will change the operational curve the operational parity curve you've got all these you have the relative cost of electricity versus gasoline and that's different for each individual market whether you're in Texas, that is ERCOT, or you're in PGM in the Northeast, mm-hmm. or you're in CalISO in, in in California. So it's this multi dimensional challenge in order to find those those sweet spots. So I think it, everything is not as suitable for electrification today. Will it be in the future? I I'm I don't I don't have I wouldn't say my expertise is defining co- uh, technology curves from from EVs, but if you look at how fast things have progressed. You could assume that range and range is going to increase and cost is going to uh, decrease over time, and and I think and that's going to help certain applications of EVs become at parity. Mm-hmm. Um, and but there's still going to be room for other applications in the Northeast. Uh, there's large heating and cooling loads that have parasitic load impacts on batteries, which impact range. So um, I think you will see parity arrive, but it's going to be in discrete markets and discrete timeframes. So the challenges for fleets are making sure that they're thinking through which markets, which facilities, which vehicles, which duty cycles, in which order.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense in those, I mean, I have no at all, uh, probably not even conviction in my my opinion here, let alone confidence in it. But uh, it it seems like the only certainty I see is that, you know, there are pockets today where electrification is already – battery electric vehicles are already better applications than the conventional or, or hybrid vehicles. And those areas those sweet spots seem to be growing, right? Many of the, just about yeah. all the things that you mentioned are factors moving in the direction of making it. So each sweet spot or, and more ones are more are appearing where the parity coming more and more, where there's more areas where electrification takes place. I don't know what the, fi- the what the final state looks like, if there is a final state and how things are going to evolve and what kind of, you know, black swan type things could come up and shake things up. Who, who knows what the the future looks like, but it seems like just from a month to month, year to year, even day to day basis, there, there's more and more applications where electrification seems to be a good fit.
1: Yeah. And it's, uh, and the big fleets see this, right? The big fleets are making investments today in terms of those applications. They realize that the technology curve in a sector that has had um technology development but just not at the pace that, that it that it's happening now and mm. and and and, the, and, the, and how different evs tend to be relative to, to 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 ice vehicles in many applications and i think that's the thing that we would we would want to make sure that fleets are thinking about is in many times in many discussions that we have with fleets people died or or think that there's a benefit to waiting We should wait because we don't have enough information right Mm -hmm. and 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 off the large fleets are not waiting and they're not waiting for a reason right it's not just because of regulation it's also because they see this as a core opportunity for them to gain an advantage sure there's a first mover advantage as it relates to marketing that is if you're operating within a segment if, if brandon has a bread company and there's four other bread companies in the same in the same area The first mover gets all the benefits associated with marketing, second, last, declines over time, right? Mm -hmm. But more importantly, if EVs are going to be a better economic solution in certain applications, they're going to be a cost advantage for fleets. That's what big fleets see is they see that these are going to be a cost advantage for them and their fleets. So we try to flip that for fleets and say, everybody's worried about being too early but they really should be thinking about what is the cost of being too late? What is the cost of rushing to catch up when you have an economic disadvantage relative to your competitors? So we try to encourage fleets, even if it's not with us to start the journey now, right? It's a, mm-hmm. uh, it consider, even if it's higher operational cost, consider it an investment in what is certain to be the future.
0: Yeah. Status quo maybe seems uh Seems comforting, but it's it's not without costs, especially in a situation yeah. like this. The
1: ground is moving underneath us, right? Yeah. As you stand still. So,
0: so yeah. like maybe a, a different approach. It question. I'd be curious on like building building this business and within looking within Revolve. So, what, what does this look like as, as you scale? What are to what extent is this more like a consulting business where you have relationships and you have experts who are providing expertise and you're leveraging that expertise, or to what extent is it closer to a SaaS business where you have a core software and you have algorithms in the background that you're, you do like what what does this look like as you guys are scaling and kind of the, the skill sets and how you're thinking about building the organization?
1: Yeah, we're very much asset heavy. We're asset focused at a a focus at a time when everybody in the venture space likes to invest in, in software. We're very much believers that uh, to have a real climate impact because things things that emit things are usually hardware, not yeah. software. So we're focusing on the, on the hardware problems. Um, so we see this longer term as being the opportunity for a fleet to outsource its vehicles. Well, in our view, um, fleets that have the opportunity to bring best-in-class fleet capabilities internally into their business, to outsource fleet, to sort of focus capital and capabilities on their core business – so we would like to see ourselves, if given the opportunity from our performance, which we expect to see is to allow, allow fleets to focus on that part of the business and to allow us to be the plug-in operator for, for their fleets, um, to operate zero mission fleets to help them make that transition. But most importantly, to, to be that core capability that works alongside their fleet team, um, operator of fleets, integrator of technology into that fleet. So the fleet manager in those operations can be more of an administrative agent as it relates to making decisions about how that fleet is dispatched and operated, the real important value-added pieces that are germane to their business. So that's the longer-term focus for us. We consult, similar to the analogy that I gave about OEMs, um, uh, about moving towards charging infrastructure over time, we're consulting with fleets up front because fleets need help to understand. Mm-hmm. That's where all of our value is is helping them understand to make the transition. But all of the all of that is an investment in a long term relationship with a customer. We don't just provide consulting services for fleets. and and tell them what to do and walk away. We like to have skin in the game as it relates to the recommendations that we make. So we very much see this as a building operating model for us to be able to deploy and and ultimately to be one of the largest air mission fleets operating within the United States. Hmm.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. It seems like there's a unique... I don't you you, you seem and I don't, I don't know what the competitive landscape necessarily looks like. Not not an industry that I'm super familiar with, but it, it sounds like the based on the way you're breaking it off that it's kind of a unique niche that you're carving for yourself and a focus in a way that yeah sure there's there's bits and pieces of this puzzle that can come together in several different ways, including the option, of course, for fleets to own their own vehicles and to develop their own strategy and execute all of it, which is kind of the the way it's been done in the past. But it it seems like you guys are kind of carving a unique area that and focusing in a way that's, that's different than how it's been done in the past.
1: Yeah. And our view is that EVs are different than it was before uh, that then technology is before. So it requires a different approach in order to be successful. And, and um, what's our, our focus is really on adding customer value is focusing on how do we help customers with that value proposition. And, mm-hmm. and listen, we, there's some fleets that will have this sorted out that we will not. Uh, we we will not be best positioned to help them. But there's a large segment of the fleet landscape that are starting that are getting started on this. And I think that there, we are if we can add value to customers in a way that helps them move more quickly and confidently towards electrification, we're confident that we can build that operating track record and trust to to know that we we're invested in their success their operational success is our operational success. And I think that that alignment of incentives can be, can be quite powerful.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, on the surface, they're very different, but as I'm hearing you talk, I see a lot, a lot of parallels. So I'm at this point leading a contract manufacturer of Edison, which where also the core premise is that electric vehicles, autonomous vehicles are presenting a, a new challenge in the manufacturing space and the assembly space, especially mm-hmm. for low volumes as, as things are growing. So like, right, we have the option and there's a lot of pressure to just become a traditional contract manufacturer, but we believe there's a different way to serve that market and we're providing value in a different way because of, you know, this, this thing that has come up with electrification and automation, that's, that's shaking things up And it. I don't, know, I, yeah. I, I, I hear a lot of similarities in the way you're talking in the way that we've been thinking in our strategic discussions and the way we're, we're talking to our customers and things like that.
1: It's great. I mean, I, the OEMs see it too, right? The OEMs understand that how these vehicles are being built is foundationally different, and they're understand, they're starting to look at the digital overlays and the service overlays on top of it. Uh, so, uh, they they're very still out in terms of in terms of um, how all the information is going to flow seamlessly between between counterparties. But uh, but uh, but you start to layer these trends around. The drive towards zero emissions, the reduction in cost of batteries, driven by stationary storage, with um, with digital innovations, with data analytics, and you start stacking all these trends on top of one another. And I think that's the thing to be mindful of is is we can't be myopic and look at one individual trend because they're influenced by all these other factors at the same mm-hmm. time. And I think. That's where we still really, I think, get step function changes in 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 how we use technology on a regular basis. Is is by by understanding the relationship and the compounding effect of these multiple trends that are happening at the same time. And I think electrification is one opportunity for this, but you probably see it in contract and manufacturing and many other domains where you there's there there is just a very a very, very compelling way to start thinking about how the world. Can be can be restructured or rerouted to use an appropriate uh, uh, analogy to 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 work differently than it has in the past.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is right, this is system engineering thinking, kind of at, at the core, right? Of like, yeah, and I think that's. I mean, Tesla for they they've done great stuff on the battery space and stuff, for all the other like, yeah, the, the electric motor space. But really, it seems like kind of the, the one of the core, if not the most important core innovation, was the way that they tackled the integration problem from a different way in the way they've, you know, didn't take the same old school manufacturing ap- approach and integration approach that the automotive industry takes, but not look, took a different look at, Hey, here's all of the functions that we need to execute. How can we do this within this vehicle? How can we package it and how can we integrate everything? So that it's, it's not just, yeah, your, your optimization doesn't need to be, let's get a better motor, but that that's how you see software updates may giving additional range, giving additional power, right? Like it's just, Getting everything to work together, and that's that's a vehicle level. You're doing a more abstract kind of industry level optimization problem here, but it, it feels like the same thing. Yeah.
1: When you think too about the Tesla example and how much they've been vindicated, uh, not that they weren't before, but the, but I guess I would say the value of their their infrastructure investments have been realized uh, with a, with a commitment by both some of the major OEMs. Mm-hmm their standards and getting access to that. But those, that decision was early on a barrier for customer adoption, right? In order for us to buy, to sell vehicles or you need places to charge them and the self-development, but it also created, again, this integrated seamless approach for customers, right? If you're a Tesla, you never have to worry about, is it going to work if I plug it in? And you think about some of the other charging network providers and there's lots of discussions about availability uptime of these individual chargers and i think tesla boasts something close to uh, above a 98 percent availability because there's this continuity of 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 technology and hardware which again come full circle back to that integration challenge right this yep. that analogy of a speaker analogy about what has made tesla so immensely successful is the fact that they focused on customer experience in that way
0: right Cool. Well, Scott, this has been a lot, lot of fun. I have definitely uh, definitely have the the wheels turning and uh, have learned a good amount here. Fun talking about this, this uh, challenge and opportunity for, you know, improved integration and utilization of electric vehicles and the, especially the commercial vehicle and fleet space here and how you guys are thinking about it and, and all these things. So I I really appreciate it. sounds like you're doing cool, meaningful, impactful work at, at Revolve. And I'm excited to to watch how that uh, that grows over, over time. Um, anything anything we missed here or if not, um, just just generally any, anything that you're hoping someone who's listening to this takes away from the conversation?
1: No, I would um, it's been a brilliant by the way. I really appreciate the conversation It almost I almost forgot that we're on a podcast. I really enjoy these conversations about about talking about what's happening in the landscape with people who are deeply invested in solving these these technology uh, 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 challenges. I would just reiterate. The the fact that electrification is inevitable in some applications. So to say that change, the change is coming. Um, and just to reiterate the importance of making early investments in some way, shape or form to start building competency. And I, 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 and to close, I'd say there's lots of experience that fleets can leverage from others. There's industry associations that they can reach out to to start talking to other fleets who might be further ahead in their journey. Leverage those resources to be able to take shortcuts in terms of not making mistakes that others have made before. Um, there's there's a lot of resources that are available. Uh, most importantly, don't try to go it alone. Right?
0: Yeah. Cool. Well, I, I think that that's a good place to leave it. Thanks, God. Thanks again. I, I really appreciate it, and uh, best of luck to you and Revolve. Thanks so much, Brandon. Thanks. Well, there you have it. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with scott davidson so what what stands out so first on the surface this seems like a redundant service this seems like something that doesn't need to be done there are vehicles buy them throw them in your fleet move on let's get going and it i'm, I'm convinced through this discussion and also others that that's not the case right the it yes battery electric vehicles have come a long way they are relatively intuitive to use on a vehicle basis but introducing them into fleet applications where you have a business you're running you're used to doing things certain ways you're used to maintaining vehicles and chart and you know refueling in certain ways and leveraging existing infrastructure within and also outside of your company limits like this is different and needs to be thought of and given the attention required and i think it's It's interesting here like i mentioned at the beginning like scott mentioned in the uh in the discussion that most of the companies they are working with have tried they have bought electric vehicles had this great idea whether it's for marketing or whether it's for total cost of ownership or, or whatever other sustainability goals whatever it is they've decided to introduce battery electric vehicles in their fleet and they have not done so successfully now they come to revolve and they they leverage the experience the scale And really the expertise of hey here's how you actually do this well and here's how you choose the right vehicle for the right application put it in place solve all of the other things around this which could present challenges if not addressed properly and that seems to be an invaluable service for the fleet as well as at societal level right we have these solutions that are being developed, these technology solutions, these vehicles that are being developed to help us decarbonize. They do no good sitting on a lot, being purchased, manufactured, and then going someplace where they aren't utilized or where, you know, the customer gets frustrated because they're not doing what they expected to. We collectively need to find ways to put these into place in the biggest impact scenarios and do it effectively. Which, yeah, I think said that way seems obvious, but that it's not something that I, th- I think is being addressed well enough in the industry. And it's great, great getting Scott's thought here. Really interesting hearing how Revolve is addressing this challenge. And uh, yeah, I, I learned a lot here. Ho- hopefully you did too. As always, we really appreciate uh, you listening and more to come next week. Thank you for listening to the Future Mobility Podcast, brought to you by Edison Manufacturing and Engineering. If you have a need for a trusted manufacturing partner for low volumes of highly complex products, then please visit us at edison-mfg.com or feel free to shoot me a note directly at brandon.bartnick at edison-mfg.com or visit my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Edison specializes in build and assembly of highly complex products and annual volumes of 10 to 10s of thousands utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you're making an impact in the mobility space, we'd
1: love to help. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Future Mobility Podcast.